And you don't have to know everything. That's arrogance. That's pride. You don't have to know everything. I'm okay with saying, I don't know something. Let me go find that out for you. I think that's a really critical thing. This is not, you don't have to be American psycho. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Allison London-Brown. With over 25 years of experience in the healthcare space, She has been involved in nearly every aspect of product development for women's health. From Fortune 50 companies like J&J and GE to founding startups, Allison has seen it all. Now as the CEO and co-founder of Luminel, she's channeling her decades of knowledge into a revolutionary new device aiming to transform gynecological procedures. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this interview. First, lean into your strengths and weaknesses as a medtech entrepreneur. It's not about being an expert in all areas, but about recognizing your own gaps in knowledge and looking for partners or team members to fill them. Second, there's no one-size-fits-all strategy for gaining regulatory clearances or approvals. Look for consultants that are experienced and accomplished in your domain, but don't expect them to be superheroes either. Third, raising capital for medical devices or any other technological breakthrough is challenging, especially considering the current economic climate. To be successful with your fundraising efforts, you need to get creative about getting attention from prospective investors. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we just released the latest edition of MedSider Mentors Volume 3, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Jim Persley, CEO of Hinge Health, Carol Burns, CEO of Cajun Vascular, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups of the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, and so many others. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, Allison, welcome to MedSider Radio. Looking forward to this conversation. Oh, great. I'm looking forward to speaking with you today as well. Yeah, well, let's let's start out with um, at the outset of this uh, this episode. I provided a, a very high level kind of overview of your, your background, but um, let's start there. If you can kind of, you know, without going too far into the weeds, give us a, a sense sure. for kind of your professional career leading up to, to Luminell. Yeah, so I've um, been in the healthcare space for... Ooh, I'm going to say a little over 25 years. I hope that doesn't tell you how old I am, but um, I've been doing this for a while and uh, I feel like I've been involved in probably almost every single uh, women's health product that there there is out there, it feels like, but just have been really uh, enjoying the new world of entrepreneurship over the last few years. It's certainly different than uh, being in corporate America. But uh, I was able to start at J&J, great training ground, and then GE, and then, you know, several startups here and there. So uh, I kind of run the gamut. 
That's great. And if um, I think uh, you, you founded Luminel, gosh, in it, we're going on what close to seven, eight years seven now back years. in. Okay. Seven, seven years. years. Okay. Yeah, so se- seven years this year. So seven years in the, in, in the making. So um, give us a sense for kind of what um, we'll definitely link to it in the, in the full write-up for this inter- interview, but give us a, a sense for kind of the, the product, what it does, and maybe a little bit of the origin story for the technology yeah. as well. So like every great startup, I think you learn things, you have a great idea, you go out and then you figure out, well, maybe there's a better idea or there's a different idea or you pivot, you know, as we talk about pivoting is a strong thing that entrepreneurs need to learn. I would say we started Luminel um, with the idea of providing a low cost, easy to use endoscopy system for specifically for uterine and urological health. So we're looking at the uterus, the cervix, the vagina, the bladder. And the goal was just to have something that's really designed for the office. So it enables physicians to be able to do simplified, you know, those 70 to 80% of what they want to do right in the office and don't have to go to the hospital. Then as we really have spent so much time and, and, you know, I sold an endoscopy system when I was at J&J. So I knew quite a bit about uterine health, but over the last few years, we became very aware of a challenge in diagnosing uterine disorders very simply. And right now people are doing this in a blind fashion. They're not even using a scope. They're using a very small Um, suction device, suction curette. And so we have started delving into oncology and really understanding how we can make a difference in early and accurate diagnosis for women. Got it. Got it. So is is the core the core system is still is still sort of an, an endoscopy an endoscopic yep. sort of a, a approach, right? Absolutely. Uh, neurological health. Got it. Yeah, um, I would say you know our goal is to provide clinical support or, or true clinical solutions to problems that need visualization. Got it. Got it. Uh, and I'm looking at your your site Luminel 360 for those listening. It's L U M I N. E-L-L-E 360.com. We'll link to it in the in the full summary um, uh, this of this interview on medsider.com. But Luminel 360 is the site. And so so uh, you mentioned kind of providing an easy to use solution for the office. Historically, right. are most of these procedures done in, in more of a hospital-based setting then? Yeah, I think over time we saw kind of a 70-30 split is what most data sets would tell you. I would say during COVID, we saw that migration or even I would call it almost a flight from the OR because these procedures were being considered elective. So they were being pushed out of the OR, which was great for for us, certainly, and great for patients because, you know, it's a lot cheaper and a lot easier to do some of these things in the office than it is in the OR. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it seems like that, that sort of that procedural shift may have accelerated a little bit over the past, past several years. So we're seeing more of a 60-40 split now, 60% of them in the office, because there are so many groups that have said, you know, and hospital systems that have said, we really want these things out of our ORs. Yep. I mean, let's be, just face it, a 15-minute procedure shouldn't be done in an OR, right? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, my hunch is that you're sitting in a in a decent spot because probably once physicians started getting accustomed to doing these procedures outside of the OR in an office-based setting, they're like... Why didn't we do this earlier? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, right. you know, I think there's always a learning curve. There's a learning curve on how to use a scope. There's a learning curve on 
what's going to matter for your practice. So uh, we're, we try to really partner with our physicians and not just, you know, dump a piece of capital on them and then run away. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is, you know, that handholding and and support that they need. Got it. Got it. And then um, you mentioned um, earlier that, uh, that you've had it, you've had a, you know, pivot quite a bit, right. Since, since the early inception, but to help set the stage, I guess, for the rest of the, the rest of the conversation, give us a sense for like where the company's at now in terms of, you know, development, uh, reg uh, and, you know, and, and commercialization as well. Yeah, so our product portfolio is highly developed. We um, have 510Ks on four devices. We have four patents that we own. Um, I would say where we've had to pivot has been more in the commercial side. And I do think that the industry has changed so much in the last even five years in terms of commercialization. Um, there used to be such a way of you know going to distributors or or these small little regional groups. And now... There's pilot ways to to commercialize. There's digital ways to commercialize, and so we've tried to look at all of those. And we are um, still pivoting. I would say right now we are figuring out our final plans for larger scale commercialization. Got it. Got it. Okay. Cool. So um, still sounds like there's some some ongoing work with respect to commercialization. Absolutely. But this, but this product is you know I, it's it's in market. I can if it's I if I'm a, okay yeah if I yep. if I wanted to call up uh, call up the, the company and order a system for myself I could I could I could do that you know presuming I'm well a, I'm if a you were if you're a physician yes <laughs> right right okay <laughs> if you were a gynecologist you can't just play one on TV you actually Got have it. to be one yeah yeah exactly exactly okay cool so um, let's spend the next maybe twenty ish twenty five minutes or so kind of go, walking through some of the the functions right that you need to yep. make you execute on as a as a as a startup company and and maybe let's start first with with development you've been you know you, we talked about this earlier you co-founded the company. Uh, about seven years ago, I'm sure the systems that are in market right now probably look a fair amount different than than maybe those early earliest versions. But what's your, you know, if you can provide some some high level advice for other entrepreneurs that are in the early phases, right, of their company and they're trying to be as capital efficient as possible, working through various iterations. What do you think is most most important, you know, during those early days when you're kind of moving from you know alpha to beta and trying to get the early development off the off the blocks? Yeah, I think there's a few key things that we were fortunate or, you know, successful at being able to do. But I would say first and foremost is you have to have a good team. And I know people say that all the time, but it really is true. I myself do have a scientific background, but I am not an engineer. I am not a mechanical engineer. I'm not electrical engineer. I know enough to be dangerous about how my computer works, much less designing a scope, right? Um, so I was fortunate to find, uh, a partner who came on later to really help design something that is elegant and simple. I think the other thing for entrepreneurs is you got to really know your end customer. And again, it sounds cliche, but I think it's not just the top dogs. It's not just the top KOLs. You've really got to know who are the high volume users? Spend the time on whether it's your GUI, like if it's a software system, make sure your GUI really works for nurses, hmm. really works for patients or whatever it is. In our case, it's making sure like our scope handle, we spent, I think like three months designing a handle to fit a woman's hand. And I happen to have a very small hand. So we spent a lot of time on ergonomics. 
Hmm. Don't overlook those things. And then I think the last piece of this is, you know, in medical device land, it's uh, how are you going to manufacture cost effectively? Uh, and again, my my partner, Eric Dreyer, who's our COO, he is kind of an expert in design for ma- manufacturability. Again, n- not anything I know how to do, but make sure when you're designing, even if it's CAD designing in that alpha stage, that whatever you're creating, you can actually make. Mm. Uh, I've seen so many, I sit on um, pitch fest and I judge other pitches and I help other medical device companies. And I see these things that come out and they're gorgeous and they're beautiful, but it's going to cost you a gazillion dollars to manufacture it. So it's not practical. So mm-hmm. you always have to think about, you know, cost. You've got to think about manufacturability. You got to think about that end game and and work somewhat backwards from there. Got it. Kind of as, as a follow-up, since you, since you mentioned it, you're it, it, looking at your background. Your wheelhouse is definitely it seems to be more on the on the on the on the commercial side, right? You're not an engineer by by background. There's a fair yeah. amount of you know, and and I, I I would say it seems like most early stage device companies they're either physician led or engineer physician in, or an engineer exactly yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but for those that are, are are listening to this conversation and like like you like me have have a little bit more of a commercial background and are not as experienced maybe on the early stage development. What have been maybe some keys that have helped you kind of overcome maybe some some gaps there, you know, as you're working on early stage product, uh, projects? Yeah, I mean, I think what I brought to the table is I know the market really well. I know the physicians. I've, you know, I've got lots of connections in the in that world. So I could tap into that to help my, you know, R&D team connect the dots. Mm-hmm. So again, I think, you know, as I said, it's a team. You need to have the, those two heads uh, or brains, however you want to say it, at the very beginning. You need to have a commercial market intelligence, pricing, all those things, marketing, you know, the commercial side and the R&D design, maybe even clinical side have to be married at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have that, I think you're going to really miss. And that doesn't mean that we we were 100% perfect. We were not, but you're going to miss. Um, yeah. So that would be, you know, something to really think about. Yeah, hearing your hearing your thoughts kind of reminds me of a recent conversation I had with Carol Byrne. She's the CEO of uh, Occasent Vascular, and um, she mentioned something very similar because I think for most of her career, even though she spent you know the, the past I don't know probably decade or so in early stage companies, the first part of her career was mostly in customer facing roles, right? Whether it was marketing or physician training or sales, et cetera. But that's something that she she mentioned as well. Is like if you're running uh, a medtech startup and don't have maybe an engineering background or vice versa, maybe you don't have the commercial chops. Mm-hmm. You need to recognize that and don't pretend that you're some expert in that arena. Fill fill the gap yeah. with you know be cognizant of that gap and, yeah. and 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 fill it you know with with a you know a, a strong group of people. Well, I mean, you look yeah. at all the functions in a big company, right? So when I think about, I was a general manager at GE, and I I can look and say, you know, you have all these boxes on an organizational chart. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as a startup, you got to figure out how am I going to fill all those boxes? And it's not people necessarily. It can be consultants. It can be other things. But how am I going to fill all those boxes in order to reach the goal? And I think um, the ability to quickly tap into resources, to find consultants, to find kind of bootstrap ways to get at the end result is mm-hmm. it's really critical for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, but again, I think you're right. I, I can't tell you how many pitches I've been to from physicians or from engineers that just forget that you got to make money at the end of this. So when you ask them like, well, how much is that going to cost? Or what's the price point? And, you know, you get kind of the deer in the headlights. It's like, well, you might want to 
kind of think about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 No doubt. Um, and yeah, and, and the same thing applies, right? If you're listening to this and have a you know a strong engineering background, if you're not thinking about the commercial implications early on, it's you know pro- probably probably a mistake. Probably need to definitely bring in. Uh, if you don't have that already, bring in some of that expertise. Yeah. 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 It can't be. I always say, you know, you can't have that technology looking for a home. <laughs> and I mean, I've been guilty of it. My in my past, I get really enamored with some, you know, new molecule or some new widget, and mm-hmm. uh, then you become technology looking for a home, and that that re- rarely works out well. Right, so. right, no doubt, no doubt. And one one of the things um, also that that's always stuck with me is um, a conversation I had with uh, Duke Rolene. This is years ago, uh, but he said one one of the things that he recognized, or you know, earlier in his kind of startup career is, um, or one of the things he did actually was. Look at strategic portfolios, right, in the in the domain that you're kind of operating in, whether it's cardiovascular or urology uh-huh. or gynecology or, or whatever. Look at their portfolios and recognize, you know, where the where the gaps are. Where the right? gaps are, absolutely. Yeah. And if and as you begin to like develop your your device, if you're building something that in a, in a competitive space and is you know is already sort of in the portfolio of your natural acquirers, well that might be a, a bit of a difficult road ahead, right? Well, you know, con- conversely, if it's a gap in a lot of strategic portfolios, that might be, you know, something worth uh, worth working on. So, so yeah, definitely need to be thinking about the commercial commercial implications early on. With that said, let's uh, let's transition if you're if you're cool with it, um, Allison, sure. to, to talk about reg and clinical. And you, you mentioned, oh, I, I know you're you're involved and you sit on a lot of you know involved in a lot yeah. of startups, advise a lot of startups, et cetera. So you, you've seen a lot. And this topic, I think, can be daunting, right? For for any any startup, you know, how do we? I mean, even if the reg pathway is relatively straightforward, you know, how do we design a clinical trial? You know that you know serves a lot of different you know stakeholders and meets you know meets our, our key needs, but also you know potentially moves the needle you know when it comes to commercialization as well. So when you think about you know this function in general, Reagan Clinical, have there been a couple couple key things that that you've learned along the way, or that you typically see other entrepreneurs do wrong, or you need to kind of help them you know coach them up kind of a, a, across this topic? Yeah, I I would say do not underestimate the impact of the FDA. Uh, I mean, I mean I, that's probably. Uh, what most people understand, but um, I've spent time with people who just actually did not even think they had to submit to the FDA. Maybe they mm. had a wearable or they had, mm. you know, something that was software related. And if it's in contact with patients or if it's patient decision-making or any of that kind of stuff, do not underestimate the fact that the FDA is, is going to want to be involved. So um, that's, you know, first and foremost is make sure you know what your regulatory is and get your regulatory people as early as possible. Hmm. Um, we went through four different regulatory groups uh, trying to land on somebody. Oh. And uh, it could take some time. And the bad regulatory person, is, it's, you know, they always say the bad hire, it can be devastating and very costly. And then from a clinical perspective, I think medical device world, we're in an in-between time where 510Ks used to be the norm and everything was great. I see more and more de novos. Hmm. And honestly, I, you know, I think there's a real need to make sure that your device really does work in a human being before you just launch it out to the world. And that's, that's what we do. We, um, we always have a very limited or a beta launch and our beta is post 510k in a human being, do it with three patients, one physician, let's control it really well. Even with something as simple as an endoscope, you know, you think, oh, it's just a camera. But you want to confirm that the thing works the way you intend it, right? And I, I think that a lot of times we just, we miss that piece and we just think, oh, we're just going to launch the product and off we go. But mm-hmm. um, 
And then in terms of that clinical design, you know, don't miss the opportunity to gather data. I mean, you get one physician in 30 patients, well, you've got enough to publish. And you can ask all kinds of questions about the patient's impact or what the patient thought, or maybe it's the nurses or it's the staff or it's the anesthesiologist or it's the whoever um, or the, you know, the hospital purchasing group. Think about all of the stakeholders, even in a clinical design, because you can get those secondary endpoints that could be very impactful for you. Hmm, that's good stuff. Uh, I want to circle back around to, to your, your comments around evaluating a reg partner, right? You said you, I think most recently, or one, one of the you know previous companies, or even at, at Luminell, you, you evaluated yeah, at four, Luminell, you know, four different groups, four different partners. When it comes to this function, how important do you think it is for uh, for your your reg you know partner, whether it's a, a consultant, whether it's someone internally, to have domain expertise in Oof. in the in the therapeutic arena that you're working in? Is is it is it crucial? Like it absolutely you absolutely should should find someone that's kind of been there, done that, or um, or as long as they are an experienced regulatory professional, it's not as important. Well, that's kind of a catch twenty two question, isn't it? Because <laughs> if you get somebody who's already knowledgeable. Yeah, they may know the people at the FDA, they may have seen there, been there, done that, but then they may apply the same rule to you that they applied to somebody else. And maybe that's not the right way to go. At the same time, if you've got somebody with no domain expertise, are they going to charge you to learn that? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we we chose to work with somebody at the end. Uh, So my first person was great. I knew her for a long time. And unfortunately, she ended up not being able to work with us for various reasons, but she had significant domain expertise. And I thought, you know, that was the right way to go. Then we tried a couple other people. It didn't work at all. Um, so we finally worked with a group, uh, Method Sense, who's here in Raleigh, and they um, have a broad base of understanding in med tech. And they have, I think, a great way of strategically looking at a problem versus cut and dry way of, you know, it's not just plug and play for them. They are, you know, kind of thinking through the challenge at hand um, and do think of it from a business perspective versus just, you know, here's QA and RA and I'm over here. They're thinking of it from how that impacts the greater, greater uh, company structure so, or company strategy. So I think that's important. Um, I will say if you are not in a, if you're more in a life science, if you're in a biologics or, you know, in those kinds of things, that is when I think you really need somebody who is domain expertise. Yeah. Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.